please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We are, if you're here visiting with us, we're working our way through the book of Romans. We've covered uh, the first uh, eight chapters and we've begun chapter 9. Excuse me. And uh, the, the argument works something like this. Paul states in the very first part of the chapter, uh, first part of the book of Romans, that the, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe, the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, for in it a righteousness that is apart from the law, but is from faith, uh, from faith to faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He, he says that our deepest need is a righteousness that would not come by our own performance, but rather as a gift through faith. And he says the reason you need that in the next couple of chapters, he says that we're all underneath sin. That is, we're guilty of it and therefore condemned. We're corrupted by it, therefore we're enslaved. We're ashamed because of our sin and we're rejected. But God has a comprehensive answer. His grace through Jesus uh, brings us pardon from our sins as Christ bears our sins for us and frees us from them. Instead, He exchanges our sin for His righteousness. We're righteous before God and we're no longer condemned, but we are right with Him. He gives us His Spirit and the Spirit comes and empowers us to resist sin and to put sin to death. So, we're able to resist the corruption. We're no longer enslaved. And God adopts us as His own children and makes us heirs with Christ Jesus so that we are accepted and we're no longer ashamed. And you see, this grace is powerful. And we look at it and we go, that is good news, but wait a minute. If it's all by grace, how come Israel had it so rough? There's so much rebellion. There's so much unbelief in Israel. Uh, it seems that there's a disconnect. And even Paul, at the beginning of chapter 9, says, I- I'm watching all of these people from Israel, the Jewish people of God, who are rejecting the Savior. And he says there's a reason for that. The reason is that not all who are biologically or naturally descended from the patriarchs were God's chosen people. And it's God's choice that determines uh, how His grace would be affected. We ended last week with these words, Jacob I love, but Esau, who came from the same parent, inhabited the same womb at the same time, before they had done anything good or bad, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. God's choice of Jacob was what made him the, the avenue through which the blessings would come. Now, it's possible that as you hear that, you might say, okay, that's not fair. If you thought that, if you said that, I want you to know that means you understood what Paul said. Because the next thing he says is, is this really fair? So before we read the next part, let's pray together and ask God, Help us receive His Word today. Father in Heaven, we are Your people and desperate to know You. But we want to know You as You have revealed Yourself. We don't want to construct something that makes You out to be different than You are. Grant us grace for the sake of Jesus Christ who loved us 
and gave Himself for us that we might hear Your Word, believe it, respond to it, be humbled by it, and to know and enjoy our God. We pray that You would help us see how great You are and that it would fuel for us faith and repentance and that You would be glorified as You provide for Your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 9, beginning in verse 14. This is God's Word. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. This is God's Word. It is completely true, and it is utterly trustworthy. If you've uh, been parenting very long, like more than a year or two, you have experienced that you need to teach your kids certain phrases and words. There's some things you just have to teach them or they'll never say it. For instance, it's okay, you go first. You have to teach your kids to say that. That doesn't come naturally. Or, you have to teach your kids to say, thank you and please and yes sir or no sir if you want them to say those things. They don't really come naturally. But there are also some sentences you don't have to teach your kids. They will learn them on their own. It's no problem. Chief among them is this one. That's not fair. They get it really easy. That's not fair. He got to sit there last time. That's not fair. Uh, he's been, he got to play the video game longer than I did. You know, it comes from every direction. It's built in. Uh, we learn it quite easily. And it's not just the kids. It's us, the adults. We say the same thing. Although we're a tad more sophisticated because we also know we've told our kids stuff like, well, life's not always fair. But we look around and we, we see people and they have things that we want and we can't realize why God doesn't give them to us. And we say, that's not fair in our hearts. And we, we feel troubled by the inequities. Somebody has what I want and I don't have it. Somebody else, uh, I have something they want and it just doesn't seem to match up. Just perfect. And it, and it troubles us. It may trouble us when we hear... Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. There wasn't something about Jacob that made him lovely and Esau that made him especially unlovely. They were basically peers and God chose one. And we look at it and we say, uh, I'm on. Alright, we have a microphone trouble. I'm just going to try to keep talking loud and hopefully the ambient microphones will do enough. Um, it, it, we hear this of God saying that He chose Jacob. There wasn't something special about Him, but it was just God's choice. And the response we might have is it's not fair. And, and Paul anticipates us hearing that. He says, shall we then think, is there injustice on God's part? It's a good question to ask. What I want us to do is to consider what that question means. If he's willing to ask it, 
that means something about the nature of God. Second thing, I want you to see how he responds to that thought because his response is instructive for us. And then I want you to see third, the, the biblical argument he makes. Paul doesn't just say, I'm an apostle, believe this. He turns to the Old Testament and says, look at the Old Testament. Here is how you've seen this before. I want you to see those three things. Let's first ask some questions. Or rather, think about what this question means. Now, I'm going to need you to put on kind of the theological cap and, and kind of walk with me. As Paul asks the question, is there injustice on God's part? He's responding to something he's already taught. And, and it means something. Roger Olson, who's a theologian and uh, a, a historian of church uh, theology, uh, says that there is a dominant theme through which we should really interpret the Bible and our knowledge of God. Here's the theme. God is good to all people. He says, I cannot comprehend of a God who treats people differently, who, who gives inequitably to people, who doesn't do it the same to every person. Ultimately, the only way that I can see God being just and fair is if the, the individual, you and I, have the ultimate determination about who gets salvation. God exposes me to it. He brings me to the point where I am free to decide. Then I decide. It's something like this. It's as if we were sitting on the, the rooftop of, of a building that's, that's pitched. You're sitting right in the center. And to fall off on one side is into the rejection of God. To fall off on the other is to the receiving of God and His mercy. Roger Olson, among others, says that's what God does. He puts us there on the rooftop and frees us to decide which way we want to go. And you and I decide. Now, if Roger Olson is correct, then the question that Paul asks doesn't make any sense. Who would look at, what, at the system that Roger Olson brings up and say, is God unjust? That's perfectly fair. There's no way anyone could look at that and say, you know, God might not be fair. In other words, that whole image has to be tossed out. It wasn't that God put Jacob and Esau on a rooftop that was pitched and let them choose which way they would go. It was more like both Jacob and Esau were already in the side that deserved God's displeasure. And he said, I'm going to choose to rescue Jacob out of that, even though I don't rescue Esau. You understand that just because Paul asked this question, he must mean that salvation comes to those whom God chooses, that it is not left to us, that we are not the ultimate deciders, but that God says, I will give salvation to whom I will. In verse 15, he's quoting Moses. And what God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And God chooses who will get mercy. It is the ultimate choice. That's what, just because Paul asked the question, you must know... That was what he understood 
he was teaching. The second thing is how he responds to the question, if God chooses who gets salvation, we go, well, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem just. I have a a problem with God who does that. And Paul says, is there injustice in God? His answer, by no means. I love the ESV. I think it's a great translation. This is one of the more disappointing spots, though. Some of your other versions read, God forbid, or may it never be. Or uh, here's what I might say, perish the thought. Although really, just to be totally candid, it's almost like he, he wished he could use an expletive there to say how powerful he wanted to say, no. No! There is no injustice in God. Perish the thought, it's awful that you would even bring it up. Though he knows we do. There is no injustice in God. That's impossible. There cannot be injustice in God. Here's what he means for us in a practical way. When we're looking at this passage and the, the thought we have is, is God being fair and we think maybe he's not, Paul says, before you trust your impulse, trust God and doubt your impulse. At the end of the day, it's not that God has something wrong. It's that you and I have a wrong sense of what fairness is. You and I have a wrong sense of what justice is. We don't realize about whom we're talking when we say, is there injustice in God? Let me give you uh, a real quick example of this from the, from the Bible. You remember the story of Job. In the first two chapters of Job, we get to see into heaven and see what's going on around Job that leads to his suffering. But Job never gets to see it. And so Job, uh, Job is grieving over all that's going wrong in his life. Job is suffering great pain. And his friends come and sit with him. It says they, they sat with him for a week before they even spoke. And finally, when Job opens his mouth to complain about his pains, his friends answer him by saying, Job, the reason you're suffering like this is there must be some sin in your life that God is punishing. That's the only explanation. But Job says, no, I've been faithful. I've been trusting to God. I've obeyed Him. And we know that's true. The beginning of Job says that he was a blameless and upright man who trusted God. And that his suffering was because of a spiritual war that was in heaven and unseen, and he was a casualty. We know the truth. Job seems to know the truth, but his friends continue to say, no, it must be because of some sin. And eventually Job says, look, it's not because of sin. In fact, if God would show up, I would have some questions for him, some hard questions about how he's treating me. And then... At the end of the book, Job gets his request. God shows up. But instead of Job asking questions of God, God asks some questions of Job. Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I measured out the dirt to make the mountains? Were you there when I created the ostrich to look awkward? Were you there when I created the warhorse to look magnificent? 
Were you there when I put creatures in the sea, including Leviathan, whom you can't even touch? Were you there when I ordered the universe? Did you give me counsel on how I should do these things? And when Job sees the greatness of God, he says, perish the thought that God is unjust. In fact, he says, I repent in dust and ashes. And he stops asking his questions. The reason you or I might think God is unjust in his choosing is because we think too highly of ourselves and too low of God. And so the passage calls us to bow our knee and to recognize we're creatures. And this is hard for us because it comes real natural to think real highly of ourselves. I tend to trust my own thoughts more than anybody else's. But Paul says, doubt your impulse. Doubt your, your doubts about God. Bow the knee and know that God is righteous. I've got a, a friend who's now a, a pastor of a PCA church in South Carolina. When he was in college and became confronted with Romans 9 and 10 and 11, and it said these things about God, he was really offended. It, it hurt his soul to think that this was what God was like. And, and he was bothered by it. And he was wrestling with it and trying to figure out what to do with it. And one day he was just so frustrated, he was going to toss his Bible and he reached down to grab it and he accidentally grabbed two pages, Romans 9, 10, 11, and he picked up his book to toss it. But instead of tossing the Bible, he just pulled those pages out. And he was holding Romans 9, 10, 11 in his hands, ripped out of his Bible. And the image that he saw said, that's what I'm doing. There's something I don't like about God, and I'm trying to tear it out. Precious believers in Jesus. This is God's Word, and Paul is telling you what God is like. And the response to it is to recognize that there might be something wrong in us that doesn't like it, not in God who is like this. The, the, the Scriptures tell us that He is unchanging, that He is pure as light, that He is absolutely holy, and there's no hint of sin in Him. He is not the author of sin. And yet He is sovereign over everything. And He has mercy on whom He has mercy. And He has compassion on whom He has compassion. By His choice, He wasn't looking down and seeing what, jo what, what Jacob could be. Jacob could be a great man. Esau has no chance. He wasn't looking down the tell of time saying, I see that Jacob will eventually choose me. And Esau won't. Or else it couldn't be written, is there injustice in God? And Paul says there can't be injustice in God. He's righteous. We're not. But if that weren't enough, he gives you one last example. The example of Pharaoh and Moses. In verse 17, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills. 
and he hardens whomever he wills. That's a hard verse. I want you to go back and see what that looks like. You can do it later today. It's going to be in Exodus 7 through 11. You can read it at home. But in Exodus 7 through 11, 12 times, 12 times, it talks about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. I want you to listen to them. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart in chapter 7. In chapter 7 later, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In chapter 7 later, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. In chapter 8, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Again, in chapter 8, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Again, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. In chapter 9, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. In chapter 9 later, Pharaoh, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. In chapter 10, the Lord said, I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In chapter 11, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. I hope that you're listening. It says both things. Sometimes it just says his heart was hardened. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And sometimes it says the Lord did. What are we to make of that? Well, if you had been there as one of the observers in Pharaoh's court, here's what you would have seen. Pharaoh saying to Moses, you pray and ask God to relieve us of this plague and I will let the people go. And then Pharaoh or Moses prays, the plague is relieved. And then Pharaoh thinks to himself, if I let them go... They won't come back. If I let them go, these slaves who helped us become wealthy will be gone and we'll have to do our own work and we're not ready to do that. It will hurt Egypt. I can't let them go. Now, who's doing the hardening there? Is it God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Moses and Paul say yes. Was it Pharaoh hardening his heart? Moses and Paul say yes. You see, both things are true. Pharaoh did what he wanted. And God brought about his purposes. Now, you want me to show you how those things line up, and I'm at a loss. I don't know how God is sovereign. I don't know how to, to fully put these two pieces together. What I know is that they're both true. Pharaoh wasn't doing something. God did not tell Pharaoh, I know that you want to come to me for mercy, but I can't let you. Pharaoh wanted to rebel against God. It's what he wanted to do. And it's why God righteously judges him. But at the same time, God is serving his purposes in the world with Pharaoh's sin. In Romans 1, it says this, God gave them, the, the, those who were immoral, God gave them over to their own depravity. He gave them over. He let them go in the path they wanted to go and their hearts grew hard and they became stubborn in their rebellion. And that's what God is doing with Pharaoh. He gave, them, gave Pharaoh over to the hardness of his heart that was already growing. If you want to think about it as an image, imagine a vicious attack dog held on a chain. And there's a radius at which he could do damage. And then that dog is released a little bit more and the damage he can do is that much greater. And God simply let Pharaoh's heart do its work. 
in rebellion and hardening and he became confirmed in his rebellion. At the same time as God is doing that, he's taking Moses who if he was left to his own devices, his heart would have gotten harder and harder and harder too. But God had mercy on Moses and rescued him and pulled him out and gave him gifts of grace. And that grace was effective in bringing Moses to faith and trust in Christ Jesus. God chose to have mercy. Here's what you must understand. If God simply put us on that rooftop and said, fall whichever way you want. Fall into rejection or fall into mercy. You choose. Every one of us would choose rejection. That's the nature of our hearts. And unless God chooses to have mercy, to come over to the side of rejection and drag us out into His mercy, no one would have mercy. That is what Paul is teaching. That you and I are spiritually helpless apart from God's choice. And so as we hear this, we shouldn't be thinking, isn't God unjust in doing it this way? We should be thinking, oh, isn't God gracious that He has mercy on anyone? And we should bow our knee and be filled with thanksgiving that God had mercy on me and on you. That's the right response to God's choosing. R.C. Sproul tells a story of when he was a professor at a college. And uh, he was teaching class and he'd give them their syllabus and all their assignments and a couple of weeks in the class when the first assignment was due, he'd already told them, if you don't turn it on time, you get a zero. And about four or five people in this big class didn't turn their work in on time, but they came to him and said, please, Dr. Sproul, have mercy. Let us turn it in today. It was because of work. It was because of this. And Dr. Sproul said, okay, turn it in tomorrow. And he graded their papers without penalty. The second time the papers were due, a month or so later, the papers were all turned in. But now about ten people didn't have their papers in on time. And uh, it was a still a, a minority of the class. It wasn't a big deal. But he was you know, aware of how serious this was. And he told them, listen, you know the rules. But they begged for mercy. And Dr. Sproul, a man who knows mercy from the Bible, felt like he would give it. So he gave them mercy. He graded their papers without penalty. The third paper was due. And about half the class came in and said, hey, we don't have our papers, we'll just turn it in tomorrow. And he said, alright, if you don't have your paper, you get a zero. And he began marking it in the grade book. And they said, Dr. Sproul, that's not fair. And he said, do you want fair? Miller, you didn't turn your paper in last time. I'm erasing the grade I gave you and I'm giving you a zero. Barker, you didn't turn your paper in on time last time or the first time. I'm erasing it and giving you a zero. Do you want fair? The class didn't want fair. And dear beloved in Christ Jesus, you don't either. You don't want fair. Fair is the righteous indignation of God against our sin. It is His wrath. We want mercy. Mercy that's not deserved. 
But get this, even His mercy is just. Because He does not just say, I'll have mercy on you and let your sins go. He took your sins and He put them on Jesus and He punished them there. He was just with your sins. Jesus died so that it would be just of God to give you mercy. And the right response, dear friends, is to bow your knee and to run to the cross and say there's something wrong with me that I think you're unjust, but would you take that which is wrong with me and put it on Christ and teach me to humble myself and simply receive this amazing grace that you have given. I can't explain it. I can't understand it. But I want it. Have mercy, O Lord, on me. Not fairness and not justice. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would show us your abundant mercy, that you would be gracious to us and call us out of darkness and into light. Let us know that the even the impulse to trust in you comes from you. It does not depend on us. And so salvation was yours from the beginning. It doesn't depend on him who wills or him who chooses or him who runs or him who works, but on God who has mercy. And so we're stunned into awe and our hearts are filled with thanksgiving that you would have mercy on us. Help us to trust in the Lord Jesus and receive your mercy in His name. Amen.